Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Howdy there, and welcome back to the Bird Gang Blitz. I'm your co-host, Blake Murphy. Along with me, as always, is Johnny Venerable, breaking down the Cardinals Niners, looking at the offensive line and the future. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, start with just a quick game breakdown. So what was your biggest takeaway from the game, John, which is just a terrible, awful 15, 15 game up until the very, or 15 to 12 game up until the very end. What do you have to say about well, it was- the toughness Carson Palmer showed? Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those games going in similar to the Dallas game where you thought that the Cardinals would have opportunities to score offensively if they would hold up on the offensive line. Of course, they didn't. Uh, unlike Dallas, San Francisco has uh, one of the better defensive lines in all football. They've got three first round offensive or defensive line uh, prospects uh, that have that have turned into to very good defensive linemen in the NFL. Simon Thomas. Uh, DeForest Buckner and um, uh, Armstead uh, on their defensive line. And they gave the Cardinals all kinds of problems. And the Cardinals were dealing with injuries up front. Carson Palmer was sacked, I believe, six or seven times in that game and was hit probably in in the double digits. So uh, he did a nice job evading probably, I would say, 10 sacks uh, all in all. And so his toughness, again, was something that you can't measure. And I think that all in all, he played probably as well as you could ask. Uh, the receivers uh, played a solid game. The running game was not there. Uh, I, th- I think I saw some advanced metrics from this from this game that said that the Cardinals had the, had the least productive running game in terms of blocking and a combination of uh, running backs uh, and breaking tackles. Uh, a combination of those two, uh, least efficient in all football. So Carson and and, and Larry and, and some of the other wide receivers are essentially doing it by themselves. And, um, you know, it's an interesting stat. Carson is on pace to take uh, a league-leading, I believe it's 60, either 64 or 68 sacks, which would obviously be a franchise record. But he's also on pace to throw a franchise record 5,100 yards passing. Uh, and so it's interesting, which one is he more likely to hit, Blake? I ask you, uh, that mark is uh, in the uh, passing game, or is he more likely to be sacked 60-plus times? Well, it's hard to say with the Cardinals' offensive line because you've seen areas at least of improvement over the last San Francisco game, which is a sign of positive. You saw Jared Valdir held up his end, uh, but you've also seen the fact that D.J. Humphreys got injured again 
Uh, he's going to be out maybe another one or two weeks. Uh, you've got reports coming out of camp that Alex Boone has been practicing, which is kind of surprising considering that most people thought he would miss uh, anywhere from two to maybe even four weeks. So whether the team's rushing him along or whether he's actually maybe uh, going to be able to play on Sunday, that could be a sign of uh, improvement for the Cardinals line. At some point, you have to figure that they'd have to adjust their offensive line to the point where Carson Palmer wouldn't be able to take uh, that many amount of hits. They've been trying to adjust, they've been doing things, but they've still given up 12 sacks in the last two games. If they don't manage to make that adjustment, I just can't see him being able to last after being hit 64 times. He's already missed time with a concussion. He's had uh, two torn ACLs as well in his career. So you're just talking about a performance where he's really going out and showing that he is one of those um, quarterbacks who can really deliver when the pressure is on. I just don't see him being a guy who's going to be able to um, take all those different hits and be able to... um, perform so if I had to say for which one it would be I would say it's more likely he hits neither of those for right now because unless they can see dramatic improvement from the offensive line uh, you just don't see that he's going to be able to last long enough speaking of the offensive line we've had plenty of struggles with uh, even though John Wetzel did surprisingly um, not terrible for his first time coming in as a guard but we still saw some issues as far as for the rest of the protection what did you see at least on Sunday from the Cardinals offensive line well, I think the biggest thing that stood out was Jared Valdir bounced back in terms of he wasn't the worst offensive lineman in the in the league like he was <clears throat> against Demarcus Lawrence and the, and the Dallas Cowboys like he uh, two weeks ago. He manned up, played well uh, last week like like we know he could, uh, played well uh, at right tackle. Um, again, the Cardinals can't get any kind of a push in the run game, and when they choose to run, they run left. They don't run right, so that shows you. Um, how uh, inequipped they are to run the football in general. They'd rather run uh, toward the left side of their offensive line, which contains rookies and undrafted free agents compared to Evan Bame, who a lot of us thought was going to be a quality pro. And let's keep in mind, he was drafted in front of Dak Prescott right now. He is uh, grossly underperforming. And then Jared Valdir, who again, held up fine in pass protection, but uh, right now has, has no power went from one of the more, uh, most powerful offensive lineman in the league to now containing no power in his game. So what I saw from this, um, this unit is you have zero building blocks on this offensive line. Um, this, the center Shipley looks like somebody that you could go year to year with, uh, depending on what kind of quarterback you have, depending on, um, you know, free agent centers and centers available in the draft. Nobody is, above replacing in this unit and nobody stood out to me uh, on this offensive line on Sunday. Um, And I think that we are seeing now just how special David Johnson was a year ago, specifically in games like the Seattle game late in the season last year. I believe that was week 16 when he went up to Seattle and put up, you know, something like 140 yards all purpose and three or four touchdowns uh, with an offensive line that was similar to this one. And Carson had, you know, uh, an outstanding game as well. You see special performances like that with similarly constructed offensive lines. And, and you say, wow, are these players special to cover up the warts of these offensive lines? And then you take away a player like David Johnson and you substitute players as limited in the run game <clears throat> like Chris Johnson on the latter half of 30 years old and, and, you, and you see how limited you become as an offense you know, in this league that now when you're inept on offense, even though you may have a great defense, you're going to be – in a struggle week to week to win football games. 
And so they have no push, you know, they have an immobile quarterback and you've got your left tackle who week to week, now it's being reported that he's got a small tear in his knee that it happened a week ago, the same practice that Humphreys got hurt. Uh, I think it was the same practice. Blake, correct me if I'm wrong, that IU Potty went down and he had to be put on IR. And Robert Condici as well. Same one practice for all three of those guys. Yep. So just a nightmare scenario for this unit that before the year started, we all thought, Hey, this, this unit might be fine. If Valdir plays up to his capabilities, if Humphrey takes the next step, IU potty comes back, maybe in better shape. Bain takes the next step. This unit could be, you know, maybe sneaky top 10. Nope. It, it turns out this is probably one of the worst offensive lines in the league rivaling the likes of the Seattle's. Um, but the difference is the Seahawks have a mobile quarterback, um, and they're able to mask this unit. The Seahawks have a far superior defense, and they have you know far superior home field advantage. And they've they've weathered this kind of storm before. The Cardinals have not. They're not used to weathering this kind of storm when the offensive line is not humming to the point where you know what they're they're giving up this kind of you know this kind of pressure. We've seen what it's done to their teams. I was at the Rams game in 2012 when the offensive line gave up eight sacks in St. Louis to Kevin Cobb, and that derailed the season when the when the team, I believe, was 4-0 at that time, and the team fell, and I think they lost um, something to the effect of, you know, 11 of their next 12 games. It can derail your season. So I'm happy that they got the win, but at the same time, who have they really played that's that's outstanding defensively? Dallas is below average. San Francisco is below average. Indianapolis is below average. And, you know, the Lions have, I think, one of the top fantasy defenses, but nobody considers them a top defense. If anything, I think they've played over their heads specifically in their back seven. They've made a lot of plays in terms of their corners have, have had, you know, the, the slays of the world have, have had some nice moments some pick sixes, the Glover Quins, but nothing in terms of, you know, you can't run on so-and-so Gerard Davis of, of the world. So uh, we haven't played the Seattles of the world. We haven't played Aaron Donald yet. So, Again, it, it may only get worse from here. I hate to say it, Blake. Yeah, and that's part of when we're going to look at least at the end, talking just about the upcoming Eagles defense is going to be um, just, that just seems like a tough match, even if you have Alex Boone in there. One thing I want to at least touch a little bit on is um, we talked about injuries and how that's just decimated our offensive line. Uh, but one thing at least to look at is the Cardinals did get a player back in the game who was able to make an impact, and they also did lose a player. The player and the guy that they seem to have gotten back at, at least for the current time is John Brown. And John Brown ended up being um, a guy who he didn't have the top stats in the game. Jerron Brown was the guy who actually ended up with over a hundred yards, but you got to see him be healthy and he got to get a couple pass interference calls and in what should have been potentially the game winning touchdown. Uh, it was of course, you know, not ruled one, at least on the, even the replay in the refs in New York, but that's another matter. But the biggest thing is the Cardinals offense when they have John Brown just looks so dramatically different because he's a guy who not just takes the top off the defense, but gets open and forces defenders to have to be handsy on him to prevent these big plays from happening. So you're able to kind of see a a glimpse of some of what the Cardinals offense could be potentially with John Brown in there. But you also just keep seeing the same red zone woes. And you also have to now look at the team going into um, next week, missing one of their top defenders in Marcus Golden. And that's been something that's been difficult for me to um, 
pin down exactly what the impact on Golden's going to have in this team because he's been a bit inconsistent this year. He's had times where he hasn't played contain. He hasn't been able to put up the sack numbers. What do you think that Golden's biggest impact um, on this team is? And who are the guys that are going to replace him? How do you think that Hassan Reddick and uh, Kareem Martin are going to be able to do to replace him, Johnny? Well, first, Blake, I want to touch on your point, and it's a good one. Marcus just didn't look like himself for the early portion of this year for whatever reason it was. You could tell at the beginning of last year, and you heard rumblings about it, he was dominating training camp. He was going to be a player to watch. Even with the acquisition of Chandler Jones, he was making plays left and right, and the sack numbers were there. He led the team in sacks. He was third in the league in sacks with 12 to 13 sacks last year. And not only were the sacks not coming throughout the first, you know, fourth of the season, quarter of the season, but the pressures weren't there either. You know, you didn't see too many quarterback hits. Uh, You saw him out of position time after time, not having the opportunity to read the uh, read option out of position against Dallas multiple times. Teams were taking advantage of that. So you, you just wonder where his mindset was this season. And it's just so out of character for somebody like Marcus who, outworks the room. And so we wish him nothing but the best in terms of recovery, just very strange. And so hopefully he's able to bounce back. He's got plenty of time. You look at a guy like Jerome Brown, who's, you know, tore his ACL about around the same time as this last year and has already come back and contributing at a high level for this team. And so we hope Marcus can do the same. But in terms of this year, I still think the Cardinals will be okay with with Chandler Jones. Uh, I've, I've already seen from Viadera Urban on, on azcardinals.com that Hassan Reddick, it looks like, is going to have an opportunity to rush the passer. I think that's smart. Uh, with Dansby and now Dayon Buchanan coming back and looking like he's going to be a force at inside linebacker, why not give Hassan Reddick opportunities to rush the passer, specifically on third down? Um, I think that Kareem Martin had uh, an outstanding preseason and he's fully capable of rushing the passer. I also think he's one of the stronger, strongest players on the roster and has tremendous length. And I think he'll be an asset to you specifically on first and second down and, and can play the run exceptionally well. So you have guys who you can sub in, sub out. You know, I was posed a question uh, from a friend of mine the other day. Interesting one. Do you bring Jarvis Jones back? I know he showed you next to nothing in the preseason, but he has some ability. He obviously knows your system. He was just on the bench the entire offseason. But I, I would think for now you're going to be able to get by with Kareem Martin and Hassan Reddick and Chandler Jones. Uh, it's a position, thankfully, the Cardinals have now. If there's one thing Kaim has done, uh, of all the things that he said he was going to do, he didn't get a quarterback of the future, and he didn't build the offensive line. But thankfully, he built the pass rush depth now from an outside linebacker standpoint that they can sustain one injury to a Marcus Golden. The interior offensive line or defensive line is a different story. But right now, offensive outside linebacker looks to be okay. Definitely agree there. I think they've got the depth, and it's interesting considering Reddick played defensive end in college just to have it be maybe more of a natural position. And I know that the Cardinals compared him to Von Miller coming out as far as his profile, his athleticism. Um, He was just incredible with forcing tackles for loss. So now that Dayon Buchanan's back, perhaps you do end up seeing some more of these packages where you'll be able to get a bit of balance and maybe not completely make up for Golden's loss, but you'll be able to at least see – just the team not fall off dramatically just because he's missing. Uh, let's go and talk a little bit about the, um, the one other concern, at least, that we've had for um, 
this uh, this Cardinals team going forward. And that's just going to be kind of trying to find a replacement for Calais Campbell with Kandiji. We've been able to see edge pressure from Chandler Jones. We've been able to see um, a lot of kind of blitzes that have been able to with Tyron Matthew getting a sack, but we really haven't seen a whole lot of interior pressure. I think the biggest thing with that is when you look at the Cardinals and look at especially Kimes' history with first-round draft picks, you've only got one of those uh, first four picks, I believe, is still on the roster, and that's Dale Buchanan. You have Jonathan Cooper's off the team, and then you've got Buchanan, and then you've got DJ Humphreys is out injured, and you've got uh, Robert Candici out injured, and that's just one of those tough, tough situations, I think. Uh, so one thing at least I do want to also touch on in addition to all of that is just we want to talk a little bit about Bruce Arians, the coach, and just the impact he's had on the Arizona. And the fact is, is that he wasn't actually the first choice for this team in 2013. This is kind of an interesting topic to look for is when you look at how the Chiefs are just having a lot of success with they're leading the league in uh, six plus yards per carry while the Cardinals, they can't even average three yards per carry on there. If, if it wasn't for a guy like Andre Ellington, they'd probably have no threat from the running back position whatsoever. Uh, let's ask, uh, let's talk a little bit about what do you think the team would look like if Andy Reid had for some reason gotten to be the head coach while the team was still in there, Kevin Cobb, Ray Horton, kind of that post-Wizenhunt phase. What, what, what do you think at least might be some of the outlooks versus if the team had gone with a guy like Arians? Man, it, that was so bizarre if you remember that, that time frame for those of us who were following the team and Twitter uh, when the Cardinals – had a vacant position opening. I was looking through my notes before our podcast, Blake, and it was <clears throat> the Cardinals were scheduled to have Andy Reid fly to Arizona on January 3rd uh, of 2013, and he canceled his flight, and he ended up rerouting to, to Kansas City and uh, becoming the head coach of the Chiefs. But the day before, Adam Schefter quote, was quoted on Twitter, and Schefter is, is right, you know, 99% of the time, ironically enough, said that he had a source tell him that it was 99% certain that Andy Reid was going to be the next coach of the Arizona Cardinals. S- essentially a done deal. And um, that that all you know went up in flames. And the Cardinals were actually – and that was at the start of the free agent period or you know the offseason for coaches. And um, then the Car- Cardinals ended up waiting around and were actually the last team – to hire a coach and of course chose Bruce Arians and it was kind of the under the radar move. And he ended up getting coach of the year that year. So that I think that kind of softened the blow for a lot of Cardinal fans, but you know, Andy Reed was a marquee name and Eagle fans. Um, you know, he was, he was kind of kicked to the curb in the sense that, you know, he had a down year with the likes of Nick Folk and Kevin Cobb, but he'd taken them to four straight NFC title games and taken them to a Super Bowl was an offensive guru. We just come off of, you know, offensive ineptness and quarterback, you know, ineptness with Ken Wisenhunt. We had Kevin Cobb in the fold. Could Andy fix Kevin, you know, bring your offensive genius to Arizona. But I, I'm with you, Blake, in the sense that, you know, we've, we've had some discussions, you know, um, off air. I think that the Cardinals would have made an effort even in division to trade for Alex Smith. I think they would have probably given up draft picks to do so. I think they, they would have maybe even given up a player to do so. I think that that marriage between Andy and Alex is one that, that uh, makes just too much sense. Um, I'd be interested to see if that didn't happen, whether or not they would have been open to somebody like a Derek Carr, um, if they would have waited a couple years. Uh, somebody like Carson Palmer just, just wouldn't have made sense. 
for uh, Andy Reid. So would he have waited another year and just rolled the dice with with Kevin Cobb? Then you would have made yourself available for um, a Derek Carr in the 2014 draft. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, I know the, the AFC West is all the rage now. And uh, I know that they had Peyton Manning um, a couple years ago. But, you know, I, I still contend that those early years with – uh, Harbaugh and that um, Niner team and Carroll and that Seahawk team and even the Rams and their defense. Uh, the defenses and the physicality of those early NFC West teams that Bruce Arians had to face year in and year out, I think that would have been a problem for Andy Reid. And I know a lot of people would scoff at that notion, but again, the Chargers underachieve year in and year out. Uh, and <clears throat> the Raiders just now become relevant and their defense has never been, you know, even on an average to good level uh, and they've become viable offensively. And, and the Broncos are now, you know, they've always been an elite run franchise, but again, the, the chiefs and the Broncos have, have taken it to another level in that division. The Cardinals entered that in that division race clearly in the bottom tier with Bruce Arians and he took them to 10 wins that first year. And that our roster was just bottom of the barrel. And what he and Todd Bowles did those first couple of years was unbelievable with Steve Kimes. So as much credit and as much love as I give Andy for what they're doing now, I don't think he, they'd be able to do what Bruce had done. Just my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, part of what you look at with Arians and Kime is how especially the way that they handled their team and handled quarterbacks is very, very different from even the majority of NFL teams. You can talk about how three quarterbacks went ahead of them in 2017. You can talk about how they may have looked at Paxton Lynch in 2015. I believe that was actually 2016 draft. But when you start talking about how you view the quarterbacks, it's just so, so different for how Andy Reid treats it. This is a team that went and invested a first and a second round into a quarterback who had all the talent and skills moving up 17 spots to get him. And that's just something we've not seen Kyman Arians have that willingness to do. They've more tried to go more of either the cheaper or more expensive routes with a lot of quarterbacks, which has been very, I guess you could say odd considering how you acquire Palmer with a sixth and he ends up being going from a stopgap to, all right, this is your franchise guy for the next few years. And then you kind of, had lucked out in that area but then you talk about with logan thomas and this is like a fourth round draft pick so it's not really a high investment and he flames out quickly and then you look at how the team brings in blaine gabbert this offseason you just have to wonder at least based on uh, if the team had gone and actually got andy reed would he have gotten more roster control would he have basically had the team move for a quarterback in the draft sooner uh, would the team have been able to have some of the success they've had under Steve Kime? The one thing I think that we can all at least agree on is the offensive line and some of the decisions that Kime has made have been very much more of investing heavily into veterans, older players, uh, and then trying to supplement that with draft picks. But we just haven't seen that type of a balance in and what's happened now is that because we don't have the depth and you don't have the coaching, you're starting to see struggles uh, from the offensive line once you start missing one or two starters. So it's just kind of an interesting thing to bring up, kind of maybe a little bit of alternate history. Um, sometimes it's fun to look back, but for the most part, you just have to kind of wonder if this team under Arians may have kind of played their hand a little bit too long. And that's what we'll see. I mean, Palmer so far looks like he could play through 2018, but you got to wonder with Kurt Warner retiring as soon as he did, if you're going to see more of that here. 
Let's talk a little bit about just with how the a little bit more on the defense here. Um, we've talked a little bit about how um, the defensive line is maybe not been able to get interior pressure, but we really got to see the secondary shine with multiple pass breakups. They did get a turnover, at least, and capitalized on that. Talk a little bit about the secondary, and then do you think that this game was a turning point for the Cardinals season, or is this kind of a game where you lose this game and then you lose maybe the Eagles game, and if you drop the Bucks game, you start all of a sudden looking at this team potentially pushing their way out of getting one of these top quarterbacks in the 2018 draft? Talk a little bit about those, uh, about the secondary in that. Well, I'll start, Blake, with the positives. I think this has a chance to be the best secondary the Cardinals have had since, well, certainly since um, Kime and Arians have taken over the team from a talent standpoint, I think this is the secondary they envisioned having after getting smoked by Cam Newton in Carolina in the playoff game in 2015. Um, From a defensive standpoint, uh, Tyvon Branch is playing the best football of his career. I didn't think he was, he was capable of playing this high of a level. So I'll give him, uh, you know, props for, for his play this year because he has raised his game to another, another level. The biggest thing for him is always staying healthy. So let's, let's hope he can continue to do so. The, the combination and the depth of Buda Baker and Antoine Bethea has just been huge. Those two playing off of each other and having the availability of both on special teams has been, has been huge and our coverage teams have been better, better for it. Uh, Tyron Matthew had a tremendous game on, on Sunday and got better as the game went on. Didn't give up a touchdown, had a sack late to, to help seal the game. Um, and so I think he's only hopefully going to get better. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Patrick Peterson, I think, is playing the best football of his career. I think I believe Pro Football Focus has him rated as their number one overall corner this year. His, his numbers are just ridiculous. I can't even quote them off the top of my head because they're so ridiculous. Uh, and then I, I can't forget about Justin Bethel. Had, a, had an up and down week one. But again, haven't noticed him as much uh, these last couple weeks. Uh, tough game against Dallas. But again, you're going to have that um, given too many opportunities uh, by our offense. Uh, and the pass rush isn't always there. But I think this, the secondary is the bright spot of the defense and, and really the bright, the bright spot of the team. So uh, hopefully they continue to play well. But uh, in terms of a turning point for the season, uh, here's what I'll say. It was interesting for me to hear Larry in the post-game press conference say that that game was a must-win when it's week four and the Giants and the Chargers are on four. And the Cardinals would drop to, you know, I say only one and three with a loss, but they know you cannot lose to the San Francisco 49ers with Brian Hoyer at home. You just can't do it. Even though you'd only fall to one and three and the Seahawks are two and two and the Rams who, you know, haven't proven anything would only, you know, be three and one and they're, you haven't played them yet. They know that this team has only so many chances to get it, get back in this race and they need to win these kind of games. So that tells me that Larry knows we know which games on our schedule we got to have. And this is one of them. Now, next week against Philadelphia, seven-point dog on the road, East Coast time, 12 o'clock start time, you know, you know, or 1 o'clock start time, East Coast. That's a game you probably can afford to lose now that you've won it. Nobody's going to say that, but at the same time, you took care of business. I don't think they're going to win. I, I said it on Twitter this week. If they win, I think it's the biggest regular season win 
of Bruce Arians' career in Arizona. And I know it's only week five of the 2017 regular season, but I think that with the way this team's playing right now, with the way that they're being doubted, with the, with the offensive line issues, with the way that Philadelphia is being lauded by the national media, you know, with, with the defensive line that Philadelphia possesses, you know, with the, um, with the Marcus Golden injury, just combining all those things, uh, if Arizona were to somehow pull that out, I think that you'd have, to, you'd have to put that right up there with the best that Arians has ever done. But in terms of a turning point, I don't know. If they would have blown them out by, you know, two or three touchdowns and looked very impressive doing so, I might say otherwise. But, again, you know, they didn't. And they didn't score a touchdown in regulation against the defense that the Rams put up 40-plus points. Now, the hindsight you could say on, on the other side is that, you know, this is the same – uh, team that you know put up 30 plus points against the Rams so how great is the Cardinal defense or how great uh, how bad is the Cardinal offense so I'll, I'll I'll leave it up to you to decide that yeah that was something that uh, I, I took a look at for some of their upcoming schedule and did get to preview the Eagles game with the uh, Lockdown Eagles podcast earlier this week and they were really really hoping that the Cardinals run defense was going to be suspect because they've had uh, LeGarrette Blunt been on a tear for them despite losing Darren Sproles and that's part of what they try to run is a balanced offense for Carson Wentz where he can run the ball be able to have time in the pocket to be able to throw downfield to hit guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. And so far, Carson Wentz has been having a really great year, despite the fact that he's had a, I think from what I remember from PFF, he should have had a lot more passes that either should have been intercepted, but were dropped. Uh, but I think the game is ultimately going to come down to which is going to be the weakest link on your team. Is it going to be the uh, Philadelphia Eagles secondary against the Cardinals, or is it going to end up being the Arizona Cardinals offensive line? And in a game like this on the road where it's in a hostile environment, you got to just take the Philadelphia Eagles as being the team who is heavily favored. They have a huge, uh, very strong and firm front seven. And I just don't see the Cardinals being able to buy Carson Palmer enough time for him to be able to hit those receivers against their corners. So I've got the Cardinals losing this week as well. But I will say this, and this has kind of been interesting, is each week I've kind of predicted what the Cardinals are going to do. And so far they've managed to defy pretty much all of my expectations so far. I believe that the first week they're going to eke one out over the Lions. The second week I thought they were going to potentially blow out the Colts because I still felt that this is a team that was still had talent on offense and they just really struggled to not just protect Palmer but to get their offense going um, even despite the strong defensive performance. Week three I felt that they were the more talented team against the Cowboys and the first half certainly showed that but they just again couldn't finish in the red zone and it's the same story again against the Niners. So until this Cardinals team which you can tell they're missing David Johnson because last year with you take his 20 touchdowns uh, off of the team, you realize that he basically was kind of that red zone threat where either you could throw the ball because teams had to watch him or despite the lack of offensive line, he was able to run those touchdowns in anyway. And since then, the injury, you've just really not been able to find a replacement for him. Andre Ellington stepped up, which has been nice, but right now I would probably take the Eagles in this game. Uh, let's move on a little bit to some draft talk at least um, just to kind of close out our night since we previewed the game what is kind of if we're going to start talking about the wide receivers you've got the Cardinals next year are going to be going into John Brown as a free agent JJ Nelson's been struggling as far as for being able to hang on to the football Larry Fitzgerald doesn't even have a contract right now and for all we know uh, he may end up calling it a career after this season whether or not Carson Palmer comes back and you're going to also look at a guy like Jerron Brown, who's been playing some 99 or so snaps, uh, despite the fact that uh, 
he came off of an ACL just under a year ago, which is quite impressive. What are some of your thoughts as far as, or should the Cardinals take a look at any of these bigger <coughs> names in the draft for wide receiver? And who are some of these Bruce Arians types guys you could look at? Well, receiver is a position that they're definitely going to have to address. Now, my my thought process is I would never take a receiver in the first round unless they are, you know, a franchise changing, you know, prototypical elite wide receiver. And I know that's easy to say, but if, you know, if a Calvin Johnson, a Larry Fitzgerald is steering right at you, a Julio Jones and AJ Green, where it's obvious you pull the trigger. But <clears throat> other than that, you know, I'm going to be conservative. And if, if my team's picking in the, the, you know, the first half of the first round, there's a reason for it. Uh, I'm going to choose to go, up front, either offense or on defensive line. Uh, but in terms of some of the prospects that I like, you know, I think that this team would be wise to secure John Brown if he's healthy uh, with or without Larry Fitzgerald. I'm going to assume Larry leaves, and um, I'm going to assume that, that Carson and Bruce also leave, and that leaves you J.J. and John still in the fold. Both give you the ability to take the top off the defense, um, but both also show a nice job to, to be possession receivers. So then who's going to be your big body receiver? Um, one of my favorite wideouts in the country is Cortland, Cortland Sutton uh, of SMU. He's a junior, <clears throat> but this is actually his fifth year. He uh, played as a true freshman in a couple games uh, and is off to a fantastic start this year. Last year, he put up over 1,200 yards, had 10 touchdowns. I believe was a uh, second-team All-American. Uh, similar to Corey Davis, doesn't play at the highest level uh, for SMU, but again, is going to put up big numbers this year. I believe he's averaging just under <clears throat> 17 yards a catch. Uh, Artie is up to seven touchdowns this year and uh, 6'4", about 216, 220, probably he's going to test around 210. So he's got a big physical body, probably he's going to run around 4'5 at the combine. So He's got, he's got a presence to him, somebody who's going to be able to go up and get the football, and that's something the Cardinals just don't have right now. Jerron Brown's got that physicality in terms of, you know, he fights for those extra yards, but does he have that, you know, ability to go up and get the football? You know, really, Larry's the only individual on the roster that can do that, and I'm assuming he's going to be gone. We don't know what we have with, with uh, Williams, the third-round pick this year. Uh, hopefully we get to see more next year or um, later on this year. But Sutton's one of my favorite players to watch. Unfortunately, he doesn't get to play on uh, national TV all that often. So you have to kind of go look for, for some of his film. Um, so, Blake, do you have anybody who, who really catches your eye? Well, I know we've talked a bit about quarterbacks, um, but I think when you're looking at quarterbacks, you talk about what kind of level of play does a receiver have where he affects the outcome of games where he can kind of carry his quarterback. We've seen that from Larry. Another guy who's been doing that in college has been Oklahoma State's James Washington. This is a guy who's probably going to end up putting up some great combine numbers. Uh, his body size is going to be a little interesting as he seems a little bit more stout than we're used to for a wide receiver, but he's just a true deep threat in the Arians mold. Uh, where you can see with Mason Rudolph, a lot of times there will be underthrown pat, deep passes or just other um, areas where the wide receiver will bail him out a ton. That's a guy, if you are going to look at going wide receiver early, maybe if you lose Fitzgerald or if you don't feel comfortable bringing John Brown back, that could be a guy you could plug in onto your offense 
um, next to J.J. Nelson. Uh, another guy who seems to stand out some, and this would be maybe more of if you're going to talk about the second round, would be a guy like Calvin Ridley. What he really fits with the Cardinals well is that the Cardinals seem to really enjoy drafting older players, uh, whereas instead of getting the, the 20, the 21-year-old guy, that's kind of who they get in the first round. When you start looking at the David Johnsons, the Marcus Goldens, the John Browns, these are all guys who are in their late 23 or even 24 uh, when they came out, John Brown, I know, is uh, especially old considering that he almost t- he took an entire year off of college um, just because of uh, with his entire situation. But that maturity and that level and being able to play at a school like Alabama, which Bruce Arians, of course, was a coach at. And we've seen from picks like Logan Thomas and Temple that he really does have uh, a kind of a almost like a spiritual level of connection with some of these players who've been to those schools that he's been through. And it's kind of like how Arizona fans are going to, you know, if you're an ASU fan, you're going to basically be talking about the Cardinals taking Nikhil Harry at some point regardless of his uh whatever his draft status ends up being so i think that when you look at the wide receiver for the cardinals it's an area that will need to be addressed but i think you and i are in agreement that if bruce arians is the coach going into next year and even if he isn't if you're going to be investing a first round pick in a wide receiver when you can get a similarly good player in round three and on there's not really a reason to overspend on a player we've seen a lot of guys who come in as receivers in the league like kevin white and josh doxson who have just been riddled with injuries um for whatever reason the adjustment's been tough for them so i think i would probably lean toward um same area as you is there's a couple of names to look at some guys who might be able to come in and replace um you're probably going to be looking more at offensive line and if palmer leaves maybe you're going to be start talking about a quarterback uh, one more thing, at least let's kind of do the wrap up. We're kind of been going through talking about the future quarterback and we're going to be kind of tracking some of these different results as we go throughout the year. So we had a big game from Sam Darnold uh, the other week against Washington state, where it was uh, a duel between him and another highly touted prospect quarterback uh, and Luke Falk. Uh, talk a little bit, at least about what you've seen so far or haven't seen from Darnold and what you've seen from Falk and just a little bit on some of the other quarterbacks you've seen. Well, you know, Sam's going to be nitpicked and you knew that coming into this year because of how well he played last year. And, you know, everybody's lasting impression from Sam was, you know, the tremendous outing in the Rose Bowl against Penn State where he looked like, you know, John Elway reincarnated. And um, so this year, you know, he's going to have some adversity. We want to see that. That doesn't change my opinion whatsoever. Um, I don't think that he's going to go – he is going through – the same kind of struggles that Josh Rosen's going through or Josh Rosen went through last year, excuse me. And look how well Rosen's playing this year. Uh, Blake, I think you sent me some numbers earlier today that, that Rosen's playing actually better than, than Darnold is this year. And that's, that's tremendous. It just shows you how strong this class is. So uh, I think Darnold's going to be fine. I think the team is lesser of a team than last year. I think their ranking is just simply based on the fact that Darnold's such a special player He's got tremendous mobility. He can make all the throws. Um, so, again, I think they're going to end up with a couple losses this year and, uh, you know, a loss at Washington State uh, against a senior quarterback like Luke Falk is, is nothing to be ashamed of. On the flip side, you look at Falk, uh, you know, 16 touchdowns to two picks already on the season, a completion percentage of, <clears throat> I believe, uh, 74%, which is fantastic. Um 66% against, against USC, uh, just tremendous. Uh, he's got the size at, at 6'4", 225. Uh, again, a senior quarterback uh, from Utah, 
uh, down to earth kid from, from what I can tell uh, four year starter, somebody who fits, you know, the Bruce Arian, Steve kind mold, um, somebody who would come into the program and I think would own the position of quarterback and you could be put your arms around and say, okay, young man, take this position and make it your own in this franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. We want to come and we want to have you be the face of our franchise and give you franchise money. Can you handle it? You know, it's the opposite of guys like, you know, Johnny Manziel or RG three who can't handle it from a maturity standpoint. You look at certain guys can handle it from, you know, a physicality standpoint. A lot of guys could probably leave after their freshman, sophomore year, but from an emotional standpoint, can they handle being the guy? Well, you look at a guy like Luke Falk and it's probably why somebody like Russell Wilson or, you know, for a lesser extent, Dak Prescott, you know, after his DUI probably grew up a lot. So, um, Sam Darnold's going to have to ask himself, am I, you know, emotionally ready to go to the NFL? You know, I heard Colin Coward talk, talk about that on his radio show today. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed for another year. We've talked about it, Blake, before, if the Browns had the first overall pick, is he ready to face, you know, that franchise that, you know, has buried some quarterbacks in the past. But I think Luke is an interesting target for a team like Arizona who, Figures now have a couple more wins that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have. Team picking maybe in the mid mid uh, middle of the first round uh, to have a chance at them. Uh, and again, somebody like Mason Rudolph as well. So anybody who uh, jumps out to you. Well, yeah, well, just to kind of touch on some of those stats that I shared with you, um, this is just interesting. When you're talking about Bruce Arians, we know that he has a type of quarterback that he likes. You look at how he and the team admitted that they had Blake Bortles as the only franchise quarterback in that 2014 draft and said that they were never going to draft Derek Carr. They passed on Teddy Bridgewater. They passed on Johnny Manziel. Um, despite the fact that I know Steve kind of did like the fire that he had, but they just couldn't agree on a prospect at least that wasn't going to be uh, the 6'5", 230 type size, um, or even like maybe just kind of that idea of looking like a quarterback. You talk about how the teams had interest in all these bigger guys, and I just think that Josh Rosen seems to be the guy who stands out the most so far, uh, even more than a guy like Mason Rudolph, because the offense that he plays in at UCLA has a huge amount of pressure that it puts on him to read the defense, to deliver strong, accurate strikes, especially down the field. And so part of the struggles he's had was taking hits in the pocket. You're looking at it this year, despite the struggles, He's averaging uh, about 57.1 completion percentage on 15-plus yard downfield passes, which that's kind of insane when you think about uh, the difficulty in college football now with vertical offenses, faster pass rushers, and the fact that um, he's playing in a very pass-happy Pac-12 helps with that. But he's still completing a huge percentage in that intermediate to long range, which is exactly what Bruce Arians wants to run in his offense. Uh, he's a guy who's had questions about maybe some maturity and other stuff from scouts, but I think that's kind of the guy where if you're looking at a quarterback who fits that Bruce Arians mold, he's the top guy. Now, if you're going to be, of course, looking at guys who are out after that, then I think that, you know, you can maybe talk about a guy like Falk in a different system, or maybe you do end up kind of looking at a, a guy in a little bit later rounds. Um, Lamar Jackson's another interesting player because he's a guy who I don't think the Cardinals would draft. Um, just because of some of the size questions, um, just some of the different stigma with him. I just feel like he's kind of a guy who they would probably choose to pass on him despite being an electric player. 
uh, if Bruce Arians is their head coach. Now, if he's not, then I think all bets are going to be off for that. Well, uh, I'm going to think that we're just about going to call it a wrap here. Any last comments you want to make before we call it an evening, at least? Uh, anything else about the upcoming Eagles game? I would just say that if the Cardinals have any chance to win this weekend, I think they're going to need, God forbid, a special team score or a defensive touchdown to win the game. That is my prediction. If they if they somehow pull this off, uh, Carson Wentz is due for uh, a clunker, a bad game. They're going to need a defensive score to do it. Totally agree with you there. I think that uh, if it comes down to which team is going to protect the quarterback better and which Carson's going to end up uh, winning in the end. Well, thanks again for joining me, John. Uh, it's been good. Uh, we'll hopefully be able to talk about this next week, at least for whether or not the Cardinals win or whether or not we're talking about a two win team going into a tough game at home against the Bucks. It's going to be a interesting story kind of for the season as we uh, watch. I think this team will maybe not show who they are against the Eagles, unless God forbid Carson gets hurt, but I think it's that game against the Bucks. We're going to be all eyeing and circling to see if they'll have a shot for everything. All right. You have a good rest of your night. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in again. We'll see you guys next time. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Pros in the know start with Lowe's because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4 while supplies last. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.